Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Chapters, a book report podcast. You might be asking yourself, hey, what is Chapters? What, e- what even is this on the feed of the Raconteur Collection? Well, let me answer those questions right now. Chapters is a show hosted by the Raconteur Collection, created by yours truly and one of the hosts, probably some would say the most popular host of the Raconteur Collection, Charlie. And Chapters is designed to uh, simply bring back the joy of reading, the joy of flipping through those pages, smelling the... <laughs> the book as they you know as one does and so far on chapters we have covered you know we are at this point this is halfway through the chronicles of narnia we've talked about the lion the witch and the wardrobe prince caspian voyage of the dawn treader and now the horse and his boy but i am not the only part of chapters there is another part a part that is currently not sitting at his microphone, and so we'll take advantage of that and all we can. I'm sorry, I'm trying to set up a camera just to see how it would look in a video form. I am joined I'm, by... I'm Jack, by the way. Nice to meet you. I am joined by my brother Jack, who so rudely interrupted me there. But that... Jack, is, is he's really distracted me. Let me let me describe to the listeners what's going on here, right? So I'm sitting here. I'm going through my intro, as I normally do. I feel like I have a good roll going. And then I look over. Jack's out of his chair. He's standing slightly to the left, setting up his phone on, like, a little floating shelf we have, trying to get a video shot. You know, what I could do here is I could just – I could play both parts. So I could say, hey, Jack, well, oh, you know. Tr- yeah, tr- try to do an impression. Jack, let's, uh, let's get into our week's. Talk a little bit about how that's been, and uh, and then the Jack would say, "You'd say, well, Charlie, here, here's here's how my week was good. It was pretty good. You know, I worked. Work was good, and now I'm here, and you know, I did some I did some normal stuff, and that was about it." And I say, "Oh, great, Jack. That was a that was a good description of your week." But Jack, don't you know that on chapters we don't talk about our weeks until until the end. But you, you're the one who asked the question, Charlie. Hmm, Jack, I think you're misremembering. Well, okay. Jack, I have to say. I do sound like that. The horse and his boy. I say this, I've said this, I think, about every single one, right? Jumping into the uh, beginning of chapters. Overall impressions, small things like that. I have to say that. Yeah, I can't, I, I just, so, sorry, real quick. What I was doing is I was just setting up this camera. I went through a bunch of, like, my old video footage and like my phone like automatically downloads stuff from the whatsapp so i had no space but i was like you know what i'm gonna film this episode of the raconteur collection and does your just, phone have enough battery and space to film like an hour i hope it has enough battery it has enough space yes uh but i don't know about battery uh uh-huh. so i was like you know what let's give it a shot see what like even though it's just the one shot let's just see what it looks like yeah so here's a clap so whenever you finish editing the file send me the file you're, you're going to be able to upload it to the RSS feed, but then I'm going to edit it on a video. Yeah, you got it, my friend. Okay. Cool. <clears throat> you got it. Sync. Oh, Sorry. my goodness. You would think that after all the time we've done the podcast, we would have done this maybe before we started recording or before I said, oh, we're recording. Jack would have been like, hey, hold on one I, second. But no, we do it in the I, beginning. I forgot about it until. During Charlie's yeah. lovely intros, which he loves doing. But Jack, I've said this about every single book we've read, you know. Man, I really like this book, but this one in particular, I think, is the one that equals Voyage of the Dawn Treader for me. I'm really high in Voyage of the Dawn Treader still. I think it's an amazing story, but this one, and it's more kind of grounded, 
simple nature. I really, mm-hmm. really enjoyed. But before we kind of get into the story itself and our history with it, Jack, how has the act of reading been going for you? Honestly, I've like really, like I've still been really enjoying the reading. And there's been, a, I've been listening to a few other podcasts. Um, they're like older podcasts at this point, but I sometimes go back and re-listen to podcasts I listen to, certain episodes that I really enjoy. And there's a few that where they talk about, um, you know, reading books, whatever, just on ways of thinking or, you know, certain like philosophies or, you know, just kind of that kind of more realm of stuff. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? I can see myself like sitting down like and reading those books. Interesting. I can like see myself reading more than just Narnia. Fiction? More than just fiction. Okay. Yeah. Um. So I was like, that'd be interesting. That? I don't know if we'd ever really do that. Like, well, unless no, that's it. That's but a really... I've been loving it. Ellie liked this one a lot. Um, and then Laura started reading the Silver Chair to her. We kind of switch uh-huh. off on nights. And so far, from what Laura told me, Ellie is enraptured with the Silver Chair right now. And why would she not be? That's and the I'm, best dude, one. I'm, I'm. Yes, this is about the horse and his boy. This is about horse and his boy. But I, I'm, do it. I am so excited that we're reading Silver Chair next. Like, oh. I was looking over because every uh, these versions that I have have a list of all the characters in the beginning, and you know I was reading like oh Prince Rillian, the son of King Caspian the tenth Rillian is the lost prince of Narnia and I was like oh yeah I'm ready to get into all that stuff, but that's great to hear Jack and it's really interesting because I I tend to be on the opposite side of the the fence right where I'm like dude I only want to read fiction like the idea of sometimes reading. Certain nonfiction things I think I would really enjoy reading, especially like uh, biographies, histories, stuff like that. But when it gets into more of like the the power of thoughts or, you know, like those types of books. Yeah. Um, the more like, not that those books are bad. And I actually think I would gain a lot from reading them. But it's never on the top of my mind. Like when I'm reading, I always associate it with wanting to read fiction, wanting mm-hmm. to read a story. And so I think it's really interesting that perhaps this fiction entry that we're doing will kind of open the gateway to be like oh hey let me consider this book well there because there are a few books that i do have that i've been meaning to read for like literal years now there's one it's it's not like about buddhism but it's, it's like i think it's like the way of the buddha or something like that the boods and i <laughs> the boods <laughs> the way of the boods and i remember like when i picked up that book it was just because like the idea of buddhism is really interesting to me and like the whole story behind it and like you know, the the meaning, finding, like, inner peace, all that kind of stuff. I was like, you know, that's a really interesting, like, it is. way of thought. So yeah. I'd like to learn about that. It wasn't really – I do kind of agree in those, those books that are just like, oh, you know, the way your brain works. Like, the ones that are kind of – See, that sounds kind of interesting, actually. More straightforward. But, like, if someone like Stephen Hawking wrote mm. that book, which he what, – what's the book he wrote? The history of ever no is no I don't know anyway it anyways like stuff like that yeah would be great great but stuff where it's like the more like self helpy type yeah self help yeah. books I think are not what I'm talking about if anyone thought that's what I was talking about and that's not what I want to I don't want to put down self help books either because I know they help people so it's like it's it's one of those things where it's like they wouldn't they wouldn't be around well, I think if, the people help themselves yeah probably. but. Also consider the thing, it's like self-help books wouldn't be around if nobody found them useful. So I think I'm in the minority when it comes to that. But man, Jack, Horse and His Boy. This one was a joy, like an absolute joy to jump back into. 
The H and his B. The, oh, the H and his B, as we used to call it as kids. Oops. And that's exactly what I want to get is your history with this book. As we've kind of gone through a lot of these books and the listeners know, or if they don't, I'll remind them now. Jack and I have a lot of history, the Chronicles of Narnia. A lot of history. I mean, so much history that like I don't ever remember a time in my life where I didn't know the general outline of every single book. And like that's how much... I guess we listened slash read to them. Probably listened. We listened to a lot of audiobooks. I listened to the audiobooks a lot. And so maybe that is why. But it was great getting back to this one. And I know before I'm just going to address something right now because it just popped into my mind. And I could hear, I can feel him seething, scratching at the walls of our dungeon. For this next episode of Chapters for the Silver Chair, I would love to get one of our Frequent guests and frequent guests, probably our top fan, Michael, on the show. He really wanted to be on Horse and His Boy. Really liked it. Uh, Michael, I'm sorry you're not on this episode. To be honest, it kind of came together last minute that we were recording together on this. Yeah, this episode of recording pushed back a couple of days. Yeah, but I would love to have you on Silver Chair. And I know we say that every single time, but you're the invitation is open. Oh no, he knows the invitation is open. He's gonna yeah. We'll have you on the silver chair. You should though. just walk in right now. <laughs> How scary that would be! Hey right. guys, Jack, go into a little bit of your history of Horse and His Boy, and before like before you cracked open the tome or hit play on the audiobook, however you listen to it out there, what was your impression before Horse and His Boy? Like, how much did you remember? What was your excitement level? So, coming off of uh, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. I was excited to get to the horse and his boy because as soon as I closed the Don Trader book, I went and got this one. I was like, Ellie, this Ellie. is. I was like, this is a good one. This one's called the horse and his boy, and she's like, okay, Dad, I don't care. I'm gonna play Fortnite. Well, yeah, that too. She said exactly like that. <laughs> no, well, Ellie, why is your voice different? <laughs> Dad. <laughs> With the Bobby, what you listening to, son? I don't think you like it. <laughs> Missouri, the Berserk theme. Oh yeah. <laughs> Anyways, oh my god, I, I was really excited to read this book because, like you said, we do have a lot of history with all these books, but this one, there are very like specific parts that I. So I was the one that listened to the audiobooks all the time, falling asleep to them, playing them like on the cds or we even at one point we did have a cassette player you know and like i hooked that Jack, up took it to school like let's let's pause here i want you to give the the listeners at home the uh the jack and charlie kid experience okay. describe to them how we listen to these cds the type of cd player we had because i specifically remember the crazy cd player we had and i think that probably was a big reason why we liked audiobooks so much because and I'll set up set you up here, but you didn't only listen to one CD, but you could listen to five, five. CDs. So this CD player, I forget where we. I think it was a family friend, yeah, maybe, I, I or like so. a, we got a, like at a garage sale or something. But you could load this bad boy up with five CDs, mm-hmm. right? And you listen to the Narnia books. It's like two CDs. It's one whole book, or relatively kind of nice speakers too. Pretty nice speakers. Yeah, I remember the big nice, um, especially when I got into like the Harry Potter uh. audiobooks. Putting. You know, because there's like 20 CDs for one of those, yeah. which is great. Um, but so we go, you know, we had that in our room, turn it on, and we'd fall asleep to it. I would fall asleep to it. Charlie sometimes would turn it off. But 
Mm. I would fall asleep to it a lot. We were like playing something. It it would be playing. Uh, Charlie would be writing. I'd be listening to it. Um, There's a time where I had a little portable CD player that I put up in my bed specifically. Put the CD in there. Play it at a low volume. Fall asleep to it. Um, it's kind of like why nowadays I fall asleep like listening to like YouTube videos real quietly in a Bluetooth little earbud. Mm. I still do that. Okay. Um, but no, so we, that's how we consumed a lot of this Mm -hmm. media over and over again. Yeah. Because these five CDs would play and then it would like loop back around, play CD one again. Well, it's fun and would be kind of for a laugh, especially with music, is you could like hold the fast forward button and it would play it like in double speed, but like the higher pitched everything. It's It's like instant chickmunk. The horse and his boy. The horse and his boy. Yeah. Which. Shasta was yeah it's yeah it's great but just don't have anything like that nowadays not really I guess you can on YouTube like the, speed up a video it's not like the same though but it's not the same it's like the audio the pitch stays the same and so it's like if you slow it down it gets all like robotic yeah if you speed it up it sounds yeah because this one yeah this one was very much like it would change like the pitch and everything it was like it was like it was playing it at double oh, it time it was so funny I remember us playing youth like youth of the nation with that or what was the other one fireproof fireproof yeah or even boulevard broken dreams oh what a great chipmunk song what a great chipmunk song yeah that i wanted to get everyone a little like peek into the the how we like first listen to these and consume these also worth pointing out that uh this is one of our mom's favorites if not her favorite in the chronicles of narnia or i know she really likes this book so i wonder if that in some way kind of shapes our perspective <laughs> i can't not every time i say it now perspective even when i write it out i was like doing some writing earlier and everything anyways you know mom said that she liked that episode a lot refer back to our episode on habits and perspectives on habits and that perspectives <laughs> but uh also right here <laughs> here here and here i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do that i might it's like giving yourself so much more work to do and then you're gonna be like, wait, why don't I want to do every one of videos? Last like, well, thing, it, last tangent I'm gonna go on before we get into the yeah. the meat and bones of this book. The the super mega channel, their editor Justin sometimes will be like, you know what, Justin, film yourself going out on a run, you know, and like I, I want to see you all nice and sweaty. And so like their editor will, like go out on a run and be like, <sighs> just like for like two seconds or whatever, and like okay, that's good, it's good, it's a little increase in your pay right there, man. Also. Film yourself getting an Arby's sandwich. <laughs> Stuff like that. It's funny. That is funny. That is funny. Time to dig in. So, for me, starting Horse and His Boy, the beginning of this book is like really vivid in my mind. <clears throat> like the whole. How Shasta, Shasta set out on his travels. Yeah. And is this whole- is a story. And I have it. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Actually, go, yeah, I think I would be very helpful to read so we can talk about kind of where it falls in the read, time. We're going to read through the whole book, right? Just the whole thing. Just the whole thing? Okay. <laughs> it takes about it's four like, hours. It's like 10 hours long. And that's interesting, by the way. Pause on the chapter. This is a story of an adventure that happened in Narnia and Kalorman and the lands between. In the Golden Age, when Peter was high king in Narnia and his brother and two sisters were king and queens under him. Yeah, so right away... Sets the stage. Right away, this is uh, taking place already in Narnia, which is, I think, a big part of this book's appeal, is that it 
doesn't focus on the traditional aspect of kids getting sucked into narnia it explores like the world of narnia in a way you haven't seen it before like yes you saw it in the voyage of the dawn treader mm-hmm. but this is more like during the time that like peter and susan Edmund and lucy when they were yeah. actually ruling the land of narnia so like, chronologically you really, you could read like Lion, Lutz, and Wardrobe up until the point to where they're knighted and there's that little time skip in there before they hunt the white stag. That's where this book takes place is like before they leave, even before that happened, like I'm pretty sure like in Chronicles of Narnia or in the Lion, Lutz, and Wardrobe, there's parts where he like makes references to like these places. And I, I was about to say yeah. like, it'd be interesting to go, interesting to go back into the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, need the abbreviation on that. And um, really see what, like, if anything kind of lines up with this story. Because there's a part where he talks about fighting the giants in the north or whatever. Yes. And that's mentioned in this book. It's mentioned. That's why, that's why Peter isn't there. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why Edmund goes. Yep. But we're jumping way ahead. We're jumping ahead. But As again, I think, do. I think that's a huge part of this book's appeal. Yeah, is that it takes place entirely within Narnia. And it's not focused, again, on any outside characters coming in. Mm-hmm. And immediately... It starts with Shash, Shashta. <laughs> Shasha. Shasta. And what? Arshish? Arshish, the fisherman. The fisherman. And right away, Shasta's... God, that's... I don't know, I don't know about this. Shasta's situation. <laughs> I know. Is uh, not great. You know, he very much knows that even though this guy is not necessarily... Is it explained right away that or she isn't his father, or he it, just Shasta just knows he's different. Yeah, it's explained pretty soon on that Shasta, you know, Shasta's like fair skinned, like mm-hmm. all other Narnians are. Um, and then Arshish is Kalorman, and he has darker skin. Mm-hmm. And so right away, Shasta kind of knows, like, okay, like it's the only father I know, though, so I'm gonna treat him like he's like my father. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, right away, it kind of talks about how he knows he's not. Like the same, and he's always had a longing for the north, and he's mm-hmm. always wanted to explore beyond. But all he's ever known is this little fishing hut, yeah, the smell of fish, and a hunk of bread for dinner, yeah. And I gotta say, right away, the difference in culture is really cool to see. Like it's really evident, and in right into the next chapter where I don't remember this. Uh, the names are gonna all blend together for me, but the Tarkhan comes to visit. On Brie, but you don't know Brie, of course, at that point. But you can see, like, in the way they talk to each other. And C.S. Lewis, I think, does a great job. He's still kind of there as a narrator, but he explains things, I feel like, almost in a little bit more of an adult way. He doesn't cut in so much, but he does reference the reader when he's, like, explaining things. Like, I do like how there's mentions of, like, oh, hey, like, you could go pick up this book and read it in a school, and you'd hear about Rabidash the Ridiculous. You're like, oh, okay, cool. Rabidash. And then I love the idea of kids going to like, like look for this history book and they just can't find it. I love that. But right away, I think he does a really, really great job of showing the culture and even just like how the characters talk to each other is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And then pretty soon, this Tarkhan is like, "Hey, gonna buy your kid. I'll give you." And they go into the they go forward. into the act of bartering. And again, the world building. Man, he's really, really good because there's not. Again, this book is not longer than Voyage of the Dawn Treader. It's not. But for some reason, he's able to, like, squeeze, I feel like, a lot of information. That's what's so interesting about C.S. Lewis, especially in these books, Mm -hmm. is 
And that's why like, him and Tolkien have very different writing styles. Tolkien very much loves to expo- like, uh, you know, expound, ex- verbose. expound be verbose, yeah. and really like, paint these yeah. beautiful oh. images, which he does very well. Yeah. And C.S. Lewis is like, I can do that in a couple sentences. doesn't have, like, the same impact, but it's no. just enough to get your, like, your yeah. imagination and starts, like, going it's, like crazy. It's close enough to, like, other cultures we've seen in, in our world to where we kind of, like, start those neurons start firing. And it does, like, a weird, weird thing in your brain where you're like, I do, I do know what this is oh, saying. I do know. Yes. Yeah. But Shasta goes. I could not help but hear, reading through this entire book, hearing the audiobook in my head. Yeah. It was, like, it's the weirdest, <laughs> unless you guys, like, listen to it as religiously as I did. It's really hard to describe, but yeah. every single line, I was like, oh my gosh. I'm like hearing how his voice sounded in that, like, uh, you know, version in, so as I'm reading it. And I was like, I'll give you 15 questions for me. 15. 15. Yeah. <laughs> but it's uh, Shasta goes to sleep in the stable when his father has a visitor. And that's where he meets the war horse. And he's basically being like, Oh, will it be? Will I be like a nice slave, or am I going to be like horribly mistreated? Wish you could talk, old fellow. Wish you could talk. And of course, the horse does. Yeah, goes. But I can't. But I can't. Which looks up. (laughs) Which um, again, it's easy. It's easy in a book, and I'm so glad this was not made into a movie because I, for the life of me, I was really trying to picture like, okay, Charlie, like pictured talking horse like their weird flapping lips and their teeth like the horse talking to you would be a little little horrifying and shasta i think is a little horrifying there is, there is something horrifying but horses especially like, like i get doing human things <laughs> okay so you know what i picture actually when a horse talks i picture falcor like that kind of like just odd like off-putting off-putting because like very uncanny valley mm-hmm. you know what the reason horses like always like have weird me out in media especially like movies like where like horses can talk or something's going on or even like in the berserk uh series where like that horse is being all freaky you know oh yeah do you remember the horse in the the movie the brothers grim yes. where like it ate that child yeah. or whatever yeah yeah that like f- forever scarred me and, like not in real life horses are fine but in movies, horses freak me out for some reason. And so, yeah, trying to picture this as a movie, it's just, like, real creepy. There's something creepy about yeah. horses in that way. And I just don't know how they would do it, really. You know what I mean? Like, anyways, that's just something I was thinking of when going on. But, of course, as you're reading this book, that thought very quickly disappears out of my mind. It's like those things like we talked about in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, how it talks about, like, as in, like, throwing things up and catching them and there's like some illustrations where he's like standing on his feet and you're like it yeah. isn't really clear that weird illustration where he's like walking hands behind his back <laughs> next to the witch and you're like <clears throat> is he you're like it isn't really clear what you're supposed to see i think it's kind of nice that this is just like a it's up to your it's imagination. up to your imagination because it's a lot easier for me to picture Aslan talking. Like, it doesn't seem so weird. But a horse talking does seem weird. It's something about the mouth. A badger talking, fine. It's something about the Reap mouth. Reap a cheap, fine. Rodents? Felines? Yeah. 100%? Okay, yeah, whatever. Cool. Horses? And a little, to like, something to with, with Something with the equestrian To the same extent, branch. like, dogs, too. Like, with their longer, like... Even dogs wouldn't be quite so weird, though. I don't feel like. 
Something like I think it's but some of the maybe horse's it's lips. You know, maybe it's because I'm so used to like dogs and like them barking and them making noise that like it's not weird, and I'm just not that familiar with a horse to like really picture. Like I would like I kind of want to ask Kate like if how weird it would be if a horse talked to her. We'll see if see her then come out. She's she was asleep when I oh. started recording her, but the horse introduces himself as Bree. Well, he goes, and the trash is like, I can't possibly say that. He's like, oh, well, can I just call you Bree? Yeah. And, I mean, talk about great characters. I love Bree in this story. There are so many times where I was, I was like, chuckling or laughing at the way C.S. Lewis kind of describes when, towards the end, when they're running, and he's like, well, they thought they were doing all they could. And he... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's just like stuff like that I think is so good and like the shame he feels later at what Shast anyways. But yeah, he's a great introduction here. Um they end up running away together very quick. I like what a lot of these books is like, hey, you get in, the setup's good. Oh, you get into the story. You're you're in, you're in. And they, he doesn't spend a lot of time thank god. Not a lot of exposition, not a lot of it's like he cuts out a lot of the boring stuff and you get to the point. They're, okay. they're escaping. Let me do another similarity here. And then we will continue on. I apologize for all the little tangents here. It's very much like you seen this the show Forensic Files, yeah. And then you see on Netflix this documentary of this guy. This popular one is like I killed my father or whatever. Oh, yeah, I saw the trailer for that. And it's like six episodes long. Each one's like an hour long. And I'm like, I don't need no condense it to thirty minutes because you can. It's all just like exposition filler. It's like an anime. It's like okay. Here we go. Here's how he grew up. Here's his dad. Okay, nothing was wrong with him. You're kind of suspicious of the dad. And then the dad really to blame. And it's like, okay, yeah, yeah, we just, come on. It's just a formula of those kind of like true crime. And then Forensic Files is like, here's what happened. Dead, dead. Here's that. what, And then, you know, done. You know where I think it started? What? For like the new breed of like show, like making a murder. Mayor making a murder. That's show. I feel like that was like the first big one. And then there's since then. There's been a lot that follow in that like hyper investigative pull you along on a narrative storyline rather than the just Ted Bundy you... one was that's where I dropped out because right. I was watching that one and I was yeah. like I just come on rather than like they yeah they it, they're telling a story and they're not it's not just facts like if they're not saying oh this happened and this happened there yeah C.S. Lewis gets right into it Shasta of course is horrible at writing falls off. Bree makes a comment that he tries to mount a horse like he's climbing a haystack, which is great. And they're off. And it's a, it's pretty shortly, I believe, as they're kind of like making plans of actually how to get away. And they go through small towns, through some bartering. And Bree's <laughs> like, you don't need your the bridle and stuff because right. I can direct myself, basically. I like how yeah, there's a distinction. I might be jumping ahead a little bit here, but there's a distinction when they're stealing stuff. And Shasta's like, we're stealing. And Bree calls it raiding. <laughs> It's just funny. Because you're taking what's necessary. Yeah. Or... And they're talking about like, oh, these farmhouses noticed that a large sack went missing. <laughs> I was just a farmer waking up in the morning. Ah, yes. Ugh. I finally finished my fresh rope. Oh. <laughs> so... <laughs> Shasta's galloping away. <laughs> but eventually, going along one night, they hear another rider. I, this part oh. is so well done because yeah. like, Shasta's like, is it Shasta or is it Bree that hears him first? I can't quite remember. I think they both kind of notice at the same time. It's and like, Shasta's the one who's like, oh, maybe it's just, you know, somebody passing. And he's and like, no, I can tell by, like, the, the stride that I love those know, little details that are put in there like that. And, you know, they start galloping. 
and well eventually you know they, they're kind of creeping away and then all of a sudden they hear a hideous horrible sound which shasta's never heard before which is lions and so they start running and it seems as if the lions are kind of because it feels like there's multiple like he they describe like oh there's like three or four of on them on the right and, on the left yeah. you know from behind and and like when yeah. the the two riders try to like split apart a little bit the lions kind of push them closer together and they like end up going through this little inlet and splashing through and then that's when Shasta kind of notices like oh hey this person seems like a little smaller they're trying to like draw their sword and you know they end up I think at one point I don't know how they actually end up stopping if you can jog my memory. You know, this part escapes me as well, actually. Uh, Let me uh, browse. Um, oh, they well, they escape a pro... You know, they... Yeah. They escape? Okay, okay. Oh, I'm like right here. Hold oh, on. They hear that. They hear the other horse talk. It's... Uh, they hear... Wen talk. Wen. Yeah, and that's how they go, are kind of both clued in. And they eat, they end up meeting Erebus and Wen. Uh, Erebus is great in the story. I think she's really good. Mm-hmm. It's a really good pairing. How they and uh, C.S. Lewis just must be good at doing this. It <clears throat> makes me wonder, like, what he's kind of basing it off because I feel like he does these two children arguing really well because it comes across as childish. But like, I'm never, I never, I'm like, oh my gosh, get over yourself, or oh my gosh, I'm like, no, I, I feel you feel justified. I know why you're angry at this. Like, well, because like he also puts in those little like tidbits of. Yes. If I, you know, if you were in his shoes or if you were there, mm-hmm. you or I would know. But they, but he doesn't know that. Like, there's many times where he directly just tells you. He does. Hey. He, he does just tell you. He doesn't artistically try to describe this deep well of sadness that Erebus was feeling Again, at having being sold. This is why all these books, we've said it, a well produced play of this book would be phenomenal. Yeah, be way better than a movie, you know, because like here's like an act. Here's like the, where the narrator can jump in. And here's like, you know, the scenes playing. Like, right. That'd be like so cool. But it would be cool. Whatever. But they go on and there's a really cool detail in here how the Clormans like telling stories. And so Erebus, when she starts telling her story, like kind of like changes the tone of her voice. And mm-hmm. he's like, oh, it's not like the stories that you're used to hearing because like you're used to hearing boring stories. He's like, they like telling stories. And so the story is all interesting and whatever it is. And Erebus, yeah, tells the whole story about how she was going to be wet off to this old vizier with a hump on his back. And you get really interesting things about the, what's there, the Tizrock, may he live forever. Yeah, Tizrock. Yeah. May he live forever. And the, you really get a lot of good naming conventions and everything feels very much in line with this like culture that you slowly build more and more about and i think really until you get to tosh bond or that's where you kind of you get like a lot of it all at once and mm-hmm. that, that kind of is cemented on it because at that point after they leave we're seeing different stuff and so the whole first half of this book is really building up this culture and talking about like its people and you know what kind of life it is they have slaves so it's obviously not great and that is i think we can kind of use this as a jumping off point something we were talking about a little bit before we started recording here is I I truly don't feel like there's any like racism or bigotry or like xenophobia. The only thing I think somebody could kind of pick on, and I haven't looked to see if there's any people writing about this or anything like that, but mm-hmm. the fact that the the yes, and you brought this up, 
that the Narnians are kind of like described as the barbarians and their fashion seems weird. But ultimately, the Narnians are like honest and true. And Shasta right away can tell that they just act differently and they would be kind to him. And it seems like Kalorman is very much like the bad side of humanity. And so I do think somebody could kind of dig in from that angle to be like, well, see how the Narnians, these white people. Well, are I all- think it's also a good distinction of just like culture. Yeah. Like this is like a world with, you know, these two different cultures. And that's obviously based on more, you know, real real world things. Yeah. But like it's very like it's almost putting more the way I looked at it and read into it was like an emphasis on like culture. Yeah. Like it was like, hey, this is how things are exactly. done here. And then over here, this is how it's done. Mm-hmm. You know, because like there are people who are doing fine, like in both people who hate both, like or one or the other. Yeah. And, and Jack, I think. That would be the argu- the exact same argument I make. It's like it's more about culture because, you know, Erebus is a Chloroman, right? And later on, I think even going into like the last battle and stuff and some of the stuff they talk about between those two kind of ideals, you know, with because that I feel like the last battle and knowing Narnia as a whole is what makes me not view this negatively. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be you'd kind of be looking for something to complain about if you did complain about it. But it did. It was something that popped into my mind thinking about like, Oh, what if this movie was made today? Or what if this was popularized again? Now that I'm just like older and I kind of, I have a more understanding of just the world and like just things going on. Um, you know, just in growing up with like, you know, and growing up in the world that we've grown, like grown up in, I very much more have a like a more like developed view than as a kid. So that's like one of the things I think about whenever I'm, hmm. you know, it's yeah. like how like how is this perceived? Yeah, not just I'm enjoying it for what it is. I also have the thought like I'm liking this or I'm not liking this, and I'm perceiving it this way. Or yeah. how would it be perceived? Yeah, it's kind of like. Rather than just reading the book, I'm also thinking about, like, 60 other things. Yeah. So. And so, you know, to that point, I didn't have any problem with it. And I actually think the world building it does and the distinction between these two cultures is really cool. And only adds to, like, deepen Narnia as a whole. Because you can really contrast Kalorman, which seems to be a little bit more like you said just different like they just have this different way of life you get a little bit of a mention of it in voyage of the dawn treader like slave traders and stuff like that so you have an idea that it exists but it seems to be in the lands beyond narnia because a lot of them are like hey people are like narnia wasn't that narnia ruled over by the super powerful sorcerer that kept it all frozen like and they're like oh no no just recently like this devil of a lion came out and there's like these new kings yeah and this is like also we, we need to mention this is the first time you're seeing yes. kalorman yeah this and, is the first time you're in like the world in the area interestingly jack if you think about it from like a world point of view narnia has like just woken up like they just took it back what they've been narnia has been unfrozen for 20 ish years I was gonna say like probably like 20 and so years yeah for like most. the first time all of this stuff is coming, and which makes Kalorman. And you're like, man, Kalormanus is a very old compared. Yeah, to and like I love how they Narnia. describe how rich. Yes, like just everything. The palace is beautiful, like an extravagant. The people who own like a lot of stuff are just like decked out, like with all this jewelry. Jewels. And I'm like, that'd be like a really, cool, like really cool yeah. to see. It made me think of um, 
You know how like fantastical. You know what I thought of the thief and the cobbler looks. Oh, that, it, you got it. Yeah, I was gonna say. What, that, what I that's kind of what we would think of. Think Obviously, of more grounded, but yeah. that kind of like. No, when I think of Chloramin, I think of that thief and the cobbler stuff. Scale, like the detail in the clothes, and mm-hmm. yeah, when they get into the city and it's so crowded and it seems kind of like horrible, and then they're going up the street and it gets a little bit better, and you're like looking over a ruse, and it's just and there's a thief that falls into the you know the moat of the castle, and uh, there we go, but. Yeah, it's it's a really cool moment, like the gates of Tashban and how they... Yeah, so when they arrive in Tashban, yeah. they realize that, okay, we have to make it through here Yeah, without being seen, without being recognized. Arvis is freaking out because she's like, I can be easily recognized, and it's going to look suspicious if two, like, sl- kids that they're going to... Kids that are trying to also look like slaves yeah. have these two horses. Yeah, these like, two fancy why, horses, yeah. Why would they have it? Because, like, they don't look disheveled enough. They don't look... right. Like slave horses, basically, mm-hmm. or just like trader horses. So they have to like come up with this plan to get through Tashban. However, there's a, there's this whole procession going on, and they basically. Well, I think important fact, just because it's part of the story, but they basically say, "Hey, if we get separated, we're going to meet at the tombs, the other side of the city." Yes, and what happens? They get separated. If you'll continue, of course, they get separated. Um, and I believe. Shasta gets separated first. Yes. In, in the crowd of people. Because yeah. he like tries to squeeze back and there's like a lady that shoves him with a basket with like lady. Yeah, there's like, you know, just like jostling. jostling. And... and then suddenly from the procession, okay. they're like, oh, like one of the guys like pulls him in because like recognizes like, hey, that looks like this dude that will well, be this, this, is, this is also the first time too that Shasta sees like other Narnians and how he, different yeah. they look and like how they're wearing like sturdy colors, like very like. They seem, you know, like bright. They have a colors. swing to their step. They seem like more happy, you know. And Shasta's immediately kind of like, not he doesn't fear them, but he's like taken in with them. And even he says like when the guy picks him up and like hits him for like running away, he's like, I can tell it's not a bad hit. Not like they're trying to like hurt me. They're just they're upset with me, which is so like, sad because like that just emphasizes like what they talked about in the beginning of the book. That Arshis was like a very cruel father. But what's interesting is later you learn that. At least Shasta had a father. You know, that's oh. one of the lessons that the the big man talks to him about. Anyways, so Shasta gets um, mistook for someone. And we're not sure why. It's all very up in the air. And this is where the story kind of... I like the way C.S. Lewis does this. Um, it's like a much less invasive okay. version of... The last was part two, how they tell like one side of the story and then it switches. Oh yeah, this is this is great. It's like back and forth, back and forth. And it's done very well. Yeah. There's just one line that for some reason it really caught my attention. It's right before Shasta's like he's like confronted by these Narnians. And there's this line where he says his next impulse was to look for Bree for help. But Bree had no intention of letting all the crowd know that he could talk and stood there looking just as stupid as a horse can. <laughs> for some reason that line really made me laugh. I don't know why. Because well, I can horses just, do look kind of stupid. I can just picture. <laughs> Shasta like looks at him. He just gives him that dead yeah. horse eye. Like, you know, what I, you know, what I picture the horse from Family Guy. <laughs> just standing there. Uh, so yeah, I totally agree. This part where he gets taken in, and obviously they're mistaking him for someone else, and he doesn't really tell them. He doesn't really talk. 
these people are really nice and kind and they seem to know he him. Queen Susan. Susan. Yeah. And you're like, you're like, whoa, Susan, Susan. and Edmund are Ed- there. Edmund. And you kind of learn through over conversations and basically hearing that Susan, they're like visiting here under like the invitation of the, uh, Tisrock. Tisrock. God, for some reason that doesn't sound right when I, but the Tisrock and the may Prince he live forever. and the, may he live forever and the Prince Rabidash. And who is the Tisrock's son? Who's the Tisrock's son, his eldest son. And basically he wants to marry Susan and Susan's like, dude, no, I let's get the heck out of here. This place is horrible. And they're like, but we can't just go cause they'll attack us. And they overhear this whole plan of basically how they're going to host this fake dinner party so they can bring stuff to their ship. But in reality, they're yeah, just like, no, yeah, out. and Tumnus is there and like, yeah. you're like, okay, like you're like seeing these old characters and there's this old crow or raven that what voice did you give the, the bird? I like it very much like a, that I was like, ah, yeah, that kind of voice. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's the only way you can do an old, like, pro ah, voice. Yeah. Ah, as uh, you see, you can make your way through the gully. Mm-hmm. And that's where they learn, of course, of the, not the shortcut, but the route through the desert as well. Which, which, is because, the, which comes important later. Yes. Yeah. But through all that, Shasta really doesn't say anything. He's kind of like this passive observer, way more concerned about like what he's going to do. Like, yeah, and Tumnus is like, oh, he's like obviously like, you know, he's like had too much sun. He needs to lay down. He needs to eat, have something to yeah, drink. He's like the most delicious, delicious food like he's ever had. Anyways, but he sleeps. Some time passes, and then who comes climbing through this window? But this other kid who looks. Of course, Shasta doesn't really have a mirror, but these kids look very similar and how they got mistook for each other. And they're like, he's like, oh, who are you? (laughs) And it it, like the exchange is so good between these two. And especially knowing we won't spoil. I mean, we're kind of spoiled now. But like there are some closer, deeper ties with this prince, Prince Corwin, that has come through the window. Corin. Corin. Sorry. Corwin. I added a W in there. Yeah. Prince like Corin. Corwin is uh, the prince from Chronicles of Amber. Sorry. So Corin. Uh, but Jack, tell me about this uh, this first interaction between these two because I love the story that Corin tells about why he got lost. It's so good. Yeah. So Corin's all about kind of basically just being like a boy. Yeah. And doesn't want to <laughs> be like doesn't really care about being royalty. And so you can tell he kind of gets in trouble for that a lot because that's what that first they mistake Shasta for is like. Hey, like, like you've been lost for like a day or whatever, right. and we don't know where you've been, and you keep doing this, and yada yada yada. You should know better. Anyway, so Corin's talking about. He's like, yeah. So I went out because someone said something rotten about Queen Susan. Yeah. So I went and found him, and I knocked him down. I love that phrase. I knocked him down. And then his brother came out and knocked him down too. <laughs> then the guards came. They knocked me down. <laughs> it's so it's so good. I love. And then I was like, hey guards, uh. I have some money. I can take you to yeah, this bar. I know. And so the guards are like, okay. And so they they drink, quote, until they fall asleep, which, geez. That's well, I mean, a- what else are you doing? You know? And so then he goes back. He's like heading back. <laughs> he's sees that same, same boy. Kid. Knocks him down again. <laughs> it's that. Yeah, his repeated phrase of, oh, I knocked him down. I knocked him down again. And I'm like, I just, this is like part of this where I both am really glad that 
the trajectory they're going on with Voyage of the Untrider that like they didn't get to horse in his boy. But I also, man, this part would be so funny. Like you could make this part so funny. Like you throwing some cuts in there. So I knocked him down. And his older brother came out. Bigger guy. Knocked him down too. <laughs> the car came and they knocked me down. You know what I picture? I almost picture like a Avatar The Last Airbender yeah. style yeah. of like cut in between yeah. like a storytelling. And he's like, hey, can I get out the way you came? You got to go. Like, if you're a good places. climber. Yeah, and he's if you go climber, you can climb down here. And that is how Shasta gets out. He gets out to the city, goes to the tombs. And here, tombs? here, I don't quite remember like the chronological order that they like flip between the stories. I don't know if we're jumping ahead, but I want to go up to the part, Jack, where Shasta first meets the cat in the tombs and like talk about all the cat stuff that happens with him. So Shasta finally gets to the tombs. Yeah. And is like, okay, like there was like a bunch of these, like, you know, they're described as like what giant honeycomb structures, yeah, like thinner honeycombs and that are huge. Yeah. And so he has to like walk around them to make sure that no one's like sitting there. It's maybe you think of like a stone hinge kind of mm-hmm. thing. Anyway, so he has to like walk around on these tombs. He's like, okay, no one's here. So I'm going to go try to find some food, go raid some food. <laughs> yeah. As he um, and come back and wait for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's like, oh, what about the ghouls? What about like things that are going to come out and haunt yeah. me, the ghosts or whatever. And then he, he's sitting there and it's suddenly like, Oh, he's like, Oh, it's just a cat. A cat like stumbles up. Yeah. And the way like C.S. Lewis like says it, let me see if I can find it real quick. Is really good if you want to take it from here while I. Oh yeah, this. What I love about this part is this kind of goes back to I think that subtle nature that Aslan has and Prince Caspian and has in Voyage of the Dawn Treader, where you as the reader kind of have some knowledge because it feels a little bit, you know, not strange but it feels a little bit magical. And especially when it's paired with Shasta feeling safe with this cat because he kind of ends up sitting back to back with it and falling asleep. But what is really, I think, oh, you, ha- you have I fun have it. Oh, take it away, Jack. Hold on. Oh, he's putting his glasses on. He'd been trying for his hardest for a long time not to think of ghouls, but he couldn't keep it up any longer. Oh, ah, Help! He shouted suddenly, for at that very moment he felt something touch his leg. I don't think anyone can be blamed for him shouting if something comes up from behind and touches him, not in such a place and at such a time, when he is frightened already. Shasta, at any rate, was too frightened to run. Anything would be better than being chased round and round the burial place of ancient kings with something he dared not to look at behind him. Instead, he did what was really what most of us would have done. He looked round, and his heart almost burst with with relief. What touched him was only a cat. Only a cat. So, that's the end of the episode. No. (laughs) Did you want the page number? Oh, no, no, no. But yeah, this cat, definitely something's magical about it, because Shasta wakes up later, the cat's kind of gone, and he starts to hear these jackals. Yeah, which would be horrifying, especially like I picture like the moon over. I don't quite remember what time it says in the book, so I could be getting this wrong. But the way I pictured it in my head, the moon overhead, 
the desert, that kind of silvery sand. You have these giant kind of ominous tombs behind you. You start hearing yeah, the jackals in the desert and them coming closer. And then Shasta hears the noise again that he heard way back from when he was being chased by them the first time. The lion scares him away and it's getting closer and closer. And then it's just it's just a cat. He's like, oh, yeah, I imagine it might be too big. Let's do my, you know, it's just just the cat. The cat's just there. And he kind of he says like what he's did. He did something mean to a cat one time. He's like, oh, I threw some rocks at a cat one time. Yeah, and the, the cat, cat like, gives him a little scratch, <laughs> which I imagine Aslan being like, eh. Yeah. And again, they fall asleep. And that is right where it cuts to then Erebus and Tashban. Well, I think he actually wakes up and is wondering, like, oh, like, do I oh, yeah, he sees continue the horses, on yeah. or do I not continue yeah. on? Do I go and gather as much as I can, try to cross the desert? Again, C.S. Lewis cuts in here and is like, you and I both know that crossing a desert couldn't be something that he could do. Yeah. But he doesn't know that because he's never read read about them or knows about them really. Yeah. So he's gonna die. He's gonna he's gonna die. But yeah. But then he sees these two horses, yeah, which he recognizes as Bree and Huin being walked forward by someone else. Yeah. And he's like, "It's a trap. I can't do it. They're gonna find out he's a talking horse." And he ended up, yeah. anyways, right there. And then he cuts. Nice. Cuts to Arvis. Yeah, and of course, there's another procession that comes through. One of Arvis' friends. Uh, what I think I love so much about this part is not necessarily, I think the descriptions, I love the way the houses are described and not super interested in Arvis and this friend. I like seeing that Arvis, you get to learn a little bit more about her and how involved she actually was kind of in this culture. And she's, you know, very quickly taken back. They come up with a plan, like almost no questions, no questions asking. And it's almost like it implies that this girl, Laureline is just a little dumb. Like she just... <laughs> Kind of goes, and Arvis being the one with the stronger personality is really able to like steer her and kind of just use her presence and her like nobility against her. And of course, yeah, they come up with this whole plan to exit to this little water door and the Tisrock's palace, may he live forever. And because they visit there all the time, they'll be able to get out no, of the city, yeah, no, big be deal. no problem. D- she's delivering this high slave to yeah. some princess, ah, she, no big whatever, deal. No big deal. whatever. She social calls all the time. Erebus will just dress up as, like, a, what, high-ranking slave, like, kind of like her maiden, go with her. Exactly, exactly. And they go up to the city. They get lost through the maze of hallways. Because I imagine this place is just huge. And, you know, again, thinking of Thief and the Cobbler, like, the, the hallways twisting. And they end up coming up to this kind of, like, little crossroads. They take a turn, and then they hear footsteps. And they hear, see people, I think, walking backwards, holding candles. Which is really, like, I love how kind of creepy. Very interesting de- like, detail. They run into this small room and they hide. And unfortunately, the people are coming directly in there. And who else is coming in but the, the candle bearers who are the slaves. And then followed by the Tizrock himself. May he live forever. His... Which I find it interesting that they he specifies that the candle bear, bearers are deaf and dumb. Yes. Which is like, they're like, no, they won't. You know, they're literally just. And that, I think, shows that this place really isn't great. Like they're horrible. Like they're, I don't imagine that these candle bearers were deaf and dumb by default, you know? So, or maybe they were, who knows? And who knows? Following the Tizrock, Mela Ferrer as Rab- Prince Rabadash and Rabadash. The Viceroy. No, not Viceroy. Viscount. 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 I don't remember what his name is. Dad, if you're listening to this one, um, sorry. Is a Viscount, Viscount, 
V count. Um, this part though, I I really <laughs> That's my favorite Charlie thing. Um, this part I really like a lot. I like this whole conversation. I like how they talk to each other. Can we talk about how, like, Rabidash, excuse my language, is like all horned up, dude. Oh, yeah, he's, he's like, like, he's like this gross barbarian queen, but I must her. have her. Yeah, and you're like, dude, it's like um. Who is that one queen that, like, armies fought over? It's an Egypt- it's an Egyptian princess or queen. Cleopatra. Is it Cleopatra? I don't. You're. I don't know that much about this, this ancient like history that. that you're referring to. Anyways, I was like, dude, I'm sure Susan looks great and all, but settle yeah, down. Yeah, he's, he's going after it. And what this conversation is so cool because his dad's just. Yeah, his dad, the description of the Tisrock and my son. It is just really good. And so I want to kind of break in here with a little bit of sampling of the conversation. Page, page number, page number, page, page number, number 120. 120. So, understand, oh, my son, said the Tisrock, that no words you can speak will move me to open war against Narnia. If you were not my father, oh ever-living Tisrock, said the prince, grinding his teeth, I should say that that was the word of a coward. And if you were not my son, oh most inflammable Rabadash, replied his father, your life would be short and your death slow when you had said it. The cool, placid voice in which he spoke these words made Erevis's blood run cold. But why, oh my father, said the prince, this time in a much more respectful voice, why should we think twice about punishing Narnia any more than hanging about an idle slave or sending a worn-out horse to be made into dog's meat? It, It is not the fourth size of one of your least provinces. A thousand spears could conquer it in five weeks. It is an unseemly blot on the skirts of your empire. Most undoubtedly. It's the exact same voice I gave him, said the Tisrock. These little barbarian countries that call themselves free. Which is where well, sorry, which <laughs> which is as much as to say idle, disordered, and unprofitable, are hateful to the gods and to all persons of discernment. Are we still going? You can just read that one last line. Then why have we suffered such a land as Narnia to remain thus long unsubdued? But I love it. It's great. I mean, in the dialogue alone, I think it's really good how they keep like, how there's such a heavy social order here that they like have to throw all these honorifics and these titles all the time. The, the back and forth yeah, between him and his dad and yeah. also like the power dynamic is like really, it's a very nice detail. And I love how eventually it seems like his dad's like, all right, go go off on your quest. Yeah, well, his and dad's die, like, yeah. basically. He, he's like, as That's long as he, it's not my fault, okay, yeah. just go ahead. And so like, Rabidash makes this plan that, hey, what if you can extend out your arm and take Narnia and reach it back unseen? Not Narnia, but Arkenland. Arkenland. So, Ra- yeah, Rabidash is like, okay, look, let's just say <laughs> we extend. By the way, it'll be all me. If it fails, it's all on me, not on you, you can, at all. You didn't even know. Yeah, exactly. You have no idea. Only 200 men. Or however many. Yeah. 200. Yeah, just 200. No big deal. Um, and he has this whole plan to take Arkham land and all that kind of stuff, which is a province like right on the outskirts of Narnia, mm-hmm. basically. 
kind of like the in-between yeah Kalorman and just Narnia. past the desert and um his dad eventually is like all right yeah whatever and you also get a little bit of detail the viscount is the man that arvis was supposed to marry and when she and what's her name laureleen laureleen when they finally escape arvis is like you wanted me to be married to that yeah this like guy who's like groveling at the foot of the tisrock and basically being slapped around until one day the cards fall for him you know so you kind Mm. of get a bit of backstory into that yeah so and i love too. i think one of the lines that the the Viscount and the Tizrock kind of the Tizrock is like, hey, it's better that he goes out there to fulfill his bloodlust and probably die. I have eighteen other sons than for his blood to boil in here and for him to kill me. So yeah, he can go out on his suicide mission, whatever. Which is great. It's it's very good. And so overhearing this, Aravis 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 knows that it's you know they have to go, like they have to go right away. Because that's that's the direction they're going in. And so that'll basically stop them. And so they meet back up, have a little reunion, and they pretty much immediately just head off into the desert. And, you know, it's a grueling, grueling journey as they're kind of keeping the sights and lines and looking for the secret shortcut that the raven spoke of. Make it to the shortcut. They're able to drink. And it's, you know, it talks about how the horses can manipulate their lips to drink from the water skins that the children have, which again only, only makes it weirder. <laughs> only makes it weirder. Yeah. Makes it weird. That's like, I had forgotten about it. C.S. Lewis. I had forgotten that horses talking is weird. Cause I was totally, I loved Brie. I love when the horses know how to move yeah, their it, lips, their <laughs> nimble lips. So it just, ima- I imagine a horse very like being able to very much, you know, Making all these over exaggerated. Hello, I am a horse. <laughs> My name is Bru. <laughs> and they make it through the pass, and then they they get through. And what do they see behind them? But oh, it's Rabbit Ash and his troops trying to ford the river. And they go to this what appears to be like this green wall, and they meet this really awesome hermit. Well, this is where they they're chased by a lion. Ah, yeah. Sorry, cutting ahead. Basically. They're they're racing Rabidash at this point. Yeah, they're racing Rabidash, and the line is the horses believe that they're going as fast as they can. Yeah, great part. And then there's this horrible sound that Shasta remembered all too well from like you know from when they first met Arvis, uh, and Bree just takes off like unbelievably fast, you know, faster than he knew he could go. But Shasta turns around and is like the lion is like slinking up. To Huynh and Arvis. And so he's like, Bree, like, you, like, turn around. We gotta go save him. C.S. Lewis then cuts in. Bree will say that he never heard Shasta say this. Mm-hmm. And we all know Bree to be a very truthful horse. So we'll take him at his word. You know? Like, it's a little, like, little thing to be like, hey, give him some slack. So, but then Shasta, I love, I love this part. Oh, it's Shasta, so good. like, turns around and is like, okay, well, I, I, I gotta do something jumps off of this full galloping horse and then it describes like shasta he's like oh here yeah i got it go ahead go ahead erevis screamed and reeled in the saddle the lion was tearing her shoulders shasta half mad with horror managed to lurch towards the brute he had no weapon not even a stick or a stone he shouted out 
idiotically at the lion as one would a dog. Go home! Go home! For a fraction of a second, he was staring right into its wide open raging mouth. Then, to his utter astonishment, the lion, still on its hind legs, checked itself suddenly, turned head over heels, picked itself up, and rushed away. But yeah, it's so good now. He doesn't even, he doesn't do anything. Like, he just, and even later on, and that's what I think, what I love about Shasta, and I think makes this character so special, is that, like, you know what it reminds me of? And I think what I saw recent, not recently, within the last, like, six years, that kind of, it like, gets that same feeling that, like, I need to be heroic because, you know, Lord of the Rings is one with the hobbits. How, like, the hobbits are, like, these normal, these, sorry, sorry, pardon my language, these normal-ass people. Like, they're just, they're just farming, they're just, you know. But then they have, like, these things where they're so brave and they they do fight. And you see it in Shasta where he's, like, he does, what is he going to do? It's almost like some... It's like a call to like the human, like the human spirit in mm-hmm. a way of just like you don't know why you're doing something, but you know, regardless of how it's gonna affect you, you know it's the right thing to do. Yeah, and and he made the there in uh, the anime My Hero Academia. The first episode has that where the main character Deku doesn't have any superpowers, Deku. but then he sees his best friend getting like attacked by this villain, and everybody's standing around. Everybody's like, "Oh, hey, where are the heroes? Where where?" This kid's dying over here. And, of course, Deku's like, he does the exact same thing. He just, like, runs and does something. And he's like, I don't have any powers. Like, I'm not. He's like, but I I have to. Like, I have to do it. And it's just a cool a cool moment. You know, I I would hope that in a moment like that, I would act like that. But I don't know. Maybe I'll pull a Bree, you know? Because Bree feels, after this moment, when he's reflecting on it later, feels, like, horribly shamed by this. And even Erebus is like, wow, like, I really... Like, I really mistreated this poor kid. But it's sad. So, yeah, they get through the gate. They get into the Hermit. The Hermit's like, very, uh, this Hermit is awesome. He's like, oh, yes, I've already taken care of her. Now, listen, you need to go. You need to go right now and run. Yeah, and, and Shasta's, Shasta's like, like dude, <laughs> come on, man. But I then just jumped like, off a horse. Yeah, fine, I'll go run. And so he starts running. Oh, and C.S. Lewis brings in that great little thing. He's like, often when you complete a task, you think, oh, hey, I'm going to get the, the easy, nice reward. He's like, but. More often than not, you get a harder, better task to do. And he uses the word better. Like, you get a harder, better task to do. And I'm like, yeah, that is, <laughs> that's kind of, what enough. a good, what a good lesson for life. Like, yeah, sometimes even though you did a good thing, hey, that's not all. You can't, you have to keep going. And I love it. I love it. It's good. And Chester continues on, and I does it, do we stay with Erebus and the horses? And we catch back up with Shasta later? I believe. Yes. So Shasta leaves. He like goes through the other side of the gate and the opposite yeah. side, and just all on foot, just runs on foot. And it cuts back to Arbus waking up. Um, but she's like lying on her stomach, and then she's like, "Oh yeah, that's right. I was clawed by a lion." And a little interesting note here: the hermit's like, "Yeah, I tend to your wounds. You should be fine. You don't have a fever. You just got to rest." It's almost like you know the wounds aren't that bad. It's almost like you were like like had a few times like like a, a, whip. a whip or something. Yeah. And so, you know, it's like, okay, interesting. Wind's fine. But yeah, then Bree's kind of sulking, being like, I call myself a war horse. And, oh, yeah, it's so good. I was bested by a small boy. And Bree, this whole time, I mean, like, even going back to when they had to cut his tail to, like, make him look, you know, not as grand as he was, he was very, very, like, subconscious about that. And even, like, the, the one thing that he mentioned to Shasta at the very beginning is that he loves to roll. And he's like, 
I wonder if horses in Narnia roll. You know, and then, so yeah, he's this very proud, caring warhorse, but like he has this deeply insecure core, which is what I love about Bree. You know, like, because he's great. He's he's great. Like, but yeah, he just has this insecure core that he like won't fit in, that he's not good enough. And I love it. So yeah. Good. He's like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go be, back. I should be with the dumb horses. Like, I don't deserve to go to Narnia. And then they're like, D- yeah, Eris is like, what? so. Wouldn't it be better to be a dumb horse in Narnia than to go back? To... <laughs> and he's like, well, okay, I guess, yeah, I guess so. I, I guess, yeah. You don't suppose, this is later, but he's like, uh, you don't suppose we should just wait here for a while? Because he wants his tail to go grow back before he goes to Narnia. He's yeah. like a very proud horse. Yeah. But, ah, so good. It's very good. Yeah, and I love the description of this little hermit. How he has the goats and the goat milk. like 120 or whatever. He's like, I've seen, uh, yeah, 100 and something winters, you know. And we cut back to Shasta. Shasta. Who runs and runs and runs and eventually finds a hunting party of the king. King Loon himself is there. And King Loon is described as like the fattest, happiest, rosiest cheek king you've ever seen, which is great. Like if Santa was a king. And immediately again, the king's like, Corin, what are you doing here? And Shasta's like, no. Not him. You gotta run. Yeah. Rabbit ash. Two hundred horses. horses. And the king's like... Uh, His men are like, what? yeah, what are you talking yeah, about? Darren is like, hold up. How do we know you're telling the truth? Mm-hmm. And King Loon's like, I can just see it. Yeah. We should head out. Give him a pony. Or give him a horse yeah. or whatever. And he mounts and everyone's like, ah, oh, yes, he yeah, rides. Like, okay. like he has noble blood in him. Yeah. yeah. Okay, he knows what he's doing. But then Shasta, though, never like had to like ride a horse he can ride a horse but he yeah. can't drive he can't like steer, dry, steer drive a, horse a horse or drive a horse yeah um, like he doesn't know how because brie was always like hey whatever you do do not keep your heels yeah. out do not stick your so heels he doesn't out. know how to Don't use his do heels doesn't know how to use the reins yeah. so he gets left behind by the party because they're rushing back to the castle yeah gets lost and there's like this heavy fog the horn that keeps calling out distant, like, distant 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 and it, you have to he encounters actually rabbit he comes yeah. to this crossroad oh. where he's like he's quiet and the horse is just Dumb, just kind of whatever. Yeah, I mean, he's like hates this horse, and the horse is just like, yeah, I don't, I don't really like, like you I, either. I don't suck too, man. Yeah, but so these all these horsemen go by him, and you hear Rabidash talking like, "This time, try not to spill as much blood, but you know, when the time is right, you know, you will spill." Yeah, he's like, more well, he blood. makes a distinction. He's like, "Hey, don't spill that much Narnian blood." He's like, "But hey, we're not in Narnia." Kill as many of these Archelanders as you want. I don't care. You're like, dude. <laughs> and so Shasta continues on, but he really has no idea where he's going. I imagine just dense fog, like trees here and there. I mean, he's just kind of going along, going along. He's darker and darker. And as he's walking along or, you know, trotting along with the horse, something's next to him. He's padding this, this feet. And Jack, take away this part. What, what what do you think of this part? So I really enjoyed, like, this, this whole part of the book is really good because Shasta's like, oh, like, what, like, what is this? He, like, feels the breath of this creature on him. He, like, hears it walking by him. And he's like, he's like, oh, he's like, but he's just quiet for a long time. Finally can't take it anymore. And he's like, who are you? Or, you know, and then, oh, who are you? He said, scarcely above a whisper. One who has waited long for you to speak, said the thing, 
Its voice was not loud, but very large and deep. Are, are, are you a giant? asked Shasta. You might call me a giant, said the large voice, but I am not like the creatures you call giants. I can't see you at all, said Shasta, after staring very hard. Then, for an even more terrible idea had come into his head, he said, almost in a scream, You're not something, not something dead, are you? Oh, please, please do go away. What harm have I ever done to you? Oh, I'm the unluckiest person in the whole world. Once more, he felt the warm breath of the thing on his hand and face. There, it said, that is not the breath of a ghost. Tell me your sorrows. Shasta was a little reassured by the breath. And he goes on to say he tells. Yeah, so then Shasta basically opens up to, like, yeah. Oh, spoilers, it's Aslan. Yeah. <laughs> Opens up to Aslan, almost like he's a therapist. He's like, so I don't know my real dad. I met this mean fisherman. I found this talking horse, and I went through this, and I did this, and now I'm here, and I'm lost, and I don't know what's going on. And Aslan's just like, dude, relax. He's like, hey, you're not unlucky. And then he's like, there was only one lion. Yeah, it's revealed I was the lion. that Aslan was like the lion that brought him and Arvis together. He's the one that scratched Arvis on the back. He's uh, the one that like defended Shasta at the tombs. And here, yeah, he was the cat. And there's this the one line that I think is very indicative of this story is, I am telling you your story, not hers. I tell no one any story but his own. Great, great line. Very great deep. line, man. Great. Aslan with this one line. And then, man. of course, Shasta has the Two great... Liners. Yeah, the great line. Who are you? Asked Shasta. Myself, said the voice, very deep and low, so that the earth shook. And again, myself, loud and clear and gray. Or, sorry, loud and clear and gay. And then the third time, myself, whispered so softly you could hardly hear it. And yet it seemed to come from all around you, as if the leaves rustled with it. That's pretty good. It's pretty good, good stuff. Pretty, uh, pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. good. And at that point, Shasta's in Arnia because he crossed. He crossed through the pass, and he next morning meets his, meets some talking animals who are he, who yeah, are like not as cautious as they should be because it's been a time of like just bountiful peace. <laughs> yeah. So he's like he meets like this like he meets this little like hedgehog and hedgehog's like. Oh, good morning, or oh, whatever yeah. you know, and it's so good. <laughs> um, and then he's like, then he he shouts, like, well, Rabidash is attacking Arkenland, and then he, the hedgehog's like, oh, <laughs> this is some serious news. Oh, <laughs> good morning, and like a rabbit wakes yeah. up or whatever you know, and the rabbit's like, what's going on? <laughs> Finally, a dwarf comes up, and the dwarf was like, dude, okay, like we got to do something about this. And at this point, a, a stag was described, yes, as coming up, and Shas is like. Um, Rabidash, 200 Kalormans to Arkenland. And then the stag takes off. Like, mm-hmm. doesn't let him talk anymore. Um, but he said he's gone within like a, ma- a matter of seconds. And then there's a, are you going to read something? Oh, yeah. He goes and basically the, the dwarves are like, hey, you need some food, man. And so I'm on page 186 of our copy here. By the time Shasta had finished his porridge, the dwarf's two brothers, whose names were Rogan and Bricklethumb, Rogan, were, <laughs> were putting a dish of bacon and eggs and mushrooms and the coffee pot and the hot milk and the toast on the table. There's something 
so homey and like yeah. comfortable about the way every food scene is described in Narnia. I know. It really reminds me of like back at home, dad making breakfast, like that 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 vibe right there. Your dad coming in, rag over shoulder. What do you want? What do you want in your omelet? Yeah. What do you want? That honestly, that's that's what I picture. It's like that kind of like just delicious food. Like might be raining outside. Yeah. Some music's playing. Mm. It's great. But then at this point, we're pretty much in the end game of the book. We're in game of Horse and His Boy here. The final battle is about to happen. Uh, Which again happens very fast. Happens very fast. And like near the end of the book, like yeah. all the battles, but. You know, basically, Edmund and Lucy get involved in this, and they're basically going to come and help King Loon defend against this skirmish by Rabidash. They gather up all the things, all their other things, all their troops. They talk Some about, giants. like, the cats, the giants. They have their battle plan where the giants are going to come in on the right. The cats will kind of circle around on the left and scare the horses. This is also where we see Corin. Yes. Which, this time you learn is, like, Shasta's twin. Yeah. Um... But you don't really like understand it, but everyone's kind of like, okay, they are twins. Like yeah. Lucy sees, like, yeah, wow, this is like who so you're talking similar. about. Yeah, Evan sees it, and Corin's like, I'm gonna fight with you. Yeah, and Evan's like, yeah, no, like, you're not. Evan's like, no, you're a child. You're not gonna fight with me. <laughs> yeah. You can be in the back. Yeah, you know. And so Corin was supposed to be watched by his dwarf. He knocks over the dwarf or whatever, and the dwarf like sprains his foot, and so he can't watch Corin anymore. And so Evan's like, God. <laughs> He's like, God fine. damn it. Like, okay, like, go to the back. Just stay there and don't interfere. It's so good. And then Corrin's like, as soon as no one's looking, hey, put on the dwarf's armor. You know? <laughs> Take his pony. <laughs> he can't have it anymore. And so Shasta and Corrin are, like, in the back talking yeah. as, like, the whole procession is going onward. Uh, yeah, and so they come to this forest where they can see the castle of Arkhamland. Yeah. I forget what. The castle of Arkhamland? Yeah. King Moon's castle King in Arkhamland. King Loon is such a great king name. Yeah, and it's a great king name. Um, king he Loon. sees like it under siege. Yeah, and at this point, I people can't... are like shooting arrows from the walls. Yeah, they have, like they've cut down a tree trunk and they're like battering the. They're trying to batter the door open. And I love it's so cool. The, this is a part again where the audiobook, the folks in the family audiobook version, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. was like so ingrained in my mind. Where they're getting ready and the giants coming from like the right, the cats going on the left. And then whoop, it like switches to like the the view yeah. of the the age hermit. of it, the age of empires point of view. Yeah, <laughs> the hermit. The hermit can like yeah. see everything kind of going on. Yeah, and I just loved how they did this in the audiobook, where it was a mix of like, and then the cats are coming in for the horses, and like all the audio comes yeah. out of the cats attacking you yeah. know, and people. Oh, like, ah! Yeah, and nah, that's why I love this part too. And, and like, whose standard is that? Ah, oh, it's the Narnians. Yeah. Yes. And I, I love how so Shasta goes in, gets like knocked down, it's like <laughs> has no idea what's going on. Gets knocked down, and the hermit's like, oh, poor fool. He's down. What is he doing? Yeah, poor fool, he's down. And they're like, dead? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, over here. Yeah. He's like, why isn't he lifting his shield? He's waving his sword. He just nearly took the head off his own pony there. <laughs> like, Shasta, what are you doing, like, oh, man? poor Shasta. But <laughs> Really, I mean, and to be honest, what else would you do? Like, that's probably what I would do. <laughs> yeah, but I like how Shasta, like, right before he goes in the battle, he's like, if you funk this up now, like... You'll never not funk everything else up in your whole life yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And so he's like, I just gotta do it. Yeah. Again, it's like where that the human spirit, even if it's a little misguided, like comes <laughs> and is like, I I just gotta do this yeah. as best as I can, even if it's horrible. And that's exactly what happens. Mm-hmm. Um. So he gets like a cool battle scar. Yeah. Um. And with Edmund, they win the battle. Yeah. They win the battle. 
easily. And I love the whole little Rabidash was fighting kicked. Edmund. Yeah. Gets like, he like jumped on this box and was like, oh, like, well, I can take you all on. And tries to jump off, but his chainmail shirt gets like stuck on like a spike yeah. or something. And so he's like stuck there hanging. <laughs> yeah, because everybody's laughing at him. <laughs> Fun to mention that Bree's former master dies in this battle. Oh, yeah. He's like, oh, my former master. Yeah. And then Harris like, like, shut up. Shut up. We don't care about your former master. And then he's like, oh, he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Almost like Games of Throny, where he's, dead. he's like, oh, he's dead. That guy's dead. Oh, that guy? Yeah. Dead. Dead. Oh, yes. They're dead. <laughs> oh, is the main character dead? Eh, who knows? Anyways, over here. Yeah. But yeah. Scroll the mini-map a little bit. They they beat him, and they basically are like, hey, we should basically execute this you because, like, of how horrible, like, the thing you did, like, just attacking, like, unannounced, like, basically trying to, like, take what wasn't yours, like... But it shows that the you know that Archimander's Narnians are fair, and they do they basically I think they decide that they're going to like just let him go until Aslan shows up. Is that? I think so. I like listened to this like, like this morning. I re- refreshed this on audiobook. And I just I do know that Prince Rabidash just turned. He's like basically. I don't know. You might be able to correct me on this. I don't know if you necessarily see Aslan, but he makes his presence known by Rabidash is like talking how he will like rule Ark and then he'll rule Narnia. And he was like, everyone here is going to be like bowing to me and you're all going to get killed. And then like everyone's so it's like laughing at him and like he is turned into a donkey. Yeah. And you're like, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, and it's so creepy what Aslan says to him. Because he's like, you know, he sees like the demon there and Aslan's basically like counting down for him. He's like, have a care, Rabidash, said Aslan quietly. The doom is near now. It is at the door. It has lifted the latch. You're like, oh my gosh. The door. Let the skies fall, shrieked Rabidash. Let the earth gape. Let the blood and fire obliterate the world. But be sure, I will never detest till I have dragged to my palace by her hair the barbarian queen, the daughter of dogs, the... The hour has struck, said Aslan. And Rabidash saw to his supreme horror that everyone had begun to laugh. (laughs) It's like, Jesus Christ, Aslan. The hour is near. So good, though. One more little excerpt from Rabidash. Oh, go ahead. Demon, 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 shrieked the prince. I know you. You are the foul fiend of Narnia. You are the enemy of the gods. Learn who I am, horrible phantasm. I am descended from Tash, the inexorable, the irresistible. The curse of Tash is upon you. Lighting, uh, sorry, lightning in the shape of scorpions shall be rained upon you. The mountains of Narnia shall be ground into the dust. The... Have care, Rabidash, said Aslan quietly. The doom is nearer now. It is at the door. It has lifted the latch. Yeah, that's yeah. the part. Yeah. And then he's turned into a donkey. Yeah. And it's awesome. you're like, oh. Of course, sweet we need justice. We were, I was so excited to get to that part that we did skip over Bree becoming a wiser horse, which is a great chapter. Really full character, you know, full character arc there completed as yeah basically this is where aslan comes in yeah. and is like hey yeah i'm the one who cut you <laughs> yeah i totally and yeah and that's it's we sh- for shame for us like forgetting that because that part is great 
Aslan like sneaks up right behind Bree because they're like he's like yeah but no Aslan's not really the lion he's, he's talking he's like, like you, know. you think Aslan's a lion <laughs> you think a dumb animal like the rest of us no <laughs> and then Aslan gets like right up close to me feels the whisker and Bree like shoots off across the field but can't jump the wall and he's like <laughs> and then Wynn's like if I'm gonna be eaten by any animal yeah I yeah. wanna be eaten by you because yeah. you seem like the greatest animal of them all no I love how Aslan, well, also the hermit this is too. Aslan refers to like everyone as like daughter mm-hmm. or son. And the hermit says daughter Co- or son. Does he say and he says cousin, cousin to the horses? To the animals. Yeah. I was like, that's really interesting. Nice touch. Nice, that's a nice, nice little nice touch. touch. It's great. And of course, that's when it's also revealed that yeah, Aslan did scratch Erebus. And he did so because the slave that Erebus drugged was punished and whipped. And so that was kind of her comeuppance for that. Her comeuppance. And yeah, at that point, we kind of cut back. We understand that. So Corin and Shasta, whose name is Kor, is like the lost son or the lost. Yeah, basically in hearing this prophecy that, you know, because both when when a core not chast anymore but core and Corin were born it was there's was a prophecy made by a centaur that was like hey someday arkenland will be saved by core and there was a spy within the court of king loon who basically stole core away and you know they gave chase there was a great chase but eventually one ship escaped and of course that ship had core on it and then that's where Arshis came in and picked him up as a baby and aslan guided aslan guided the, yeah. the ship yeah um so yeah, we're nearing the end, and, and after that, all this, all this news comes very quickly. You know, this like that he because he comes in and he announces himself to Erebus as you know he's Prince Core and, and Erebus, and everyone's like, I want to apologize for being such a basically a douche to you. Sorry, that was a dick, man. Yeah, and it's just like the again the book's wrapped up so well. I yeah. love how, how. What time are we at? Oh, we're, we're about an hour twenty one minutes here. Um. Do you have anything else to say, or can I read this last page? Oh, go ahead and read the last page. <clears throat> I'll try to do some no mess-ups here. I just had a big glass of Vosser. Page 240, for anyone listening. It would be nice to end the story by saying that after that, the two brothers never disagreed about anything again. But I'm afraid it would be not true. In reality, they quarreled and fought just about as often as any other two boys would. And all their fights ended, if they didn't begin, with Kor getting knocked down, Kor being Shasta. For though, when they had both grown up and become swordsmen, Kor was the more dangerous man in battle. Neither he nor did anyone else in the North countries could ever quarrel, sorry, could ever equal Corin as a boxer. That was how he got his name of Corin Thunderfist, and how he performed his great exploit against the lapsed bear of Stormness, which really was a talking bear but it had gone back to wild bear habits. Corrin climbed, <laughs> climbed up to its lair on the Narnian side of Stormness, one winter day when the snow was on the hills and boxed it without a timekeeper for 33 rounds. <laughs> and at the end, it couldn't see out of its eyes and became a reformed character. <laughs> Arvis also had many quarrels and, I'm afraid, even fights with Kor, but they always made up again. So that many years later, when they were grown up, they were so used to quarreling and making up again that they got married, so as to go on doing it more conveniently. And after King Loon's death, they met a good king and queen of Arkenland, 
and Ram the Great, the most famous of all the kings of Arkaland, was their son. Brian Huynh lived happily to, the great age, to a great age in Narnia, and both got married, but not to one another. And there weren't many mouths. Oh, sorry, wait, there weren't many months in which one or both of them didn't come trotting over to the pass to visit their friends at Anvard. Oh, what a great way to wrap it up. Yeah, the uh, horse and his boy. Yeah, phenomenal the story of Corin Thunderfist, who boxed a bear. Corin Thunderfist, right? No, Corin. Corin, sorry. Yeah, because Cor is Shasta. Cor is Shasta. Yeah, Corin it's, it's, The name convention is a little confusing. Corin, Corin, so Dar, I mean, Dar. Why, why C.S. Lewis included that in the last paragraph, or the second to last paragraph of the book? I don't know, but it's great. I mean, I love that. And he became a reformed character. Just so you know. Just, just worth throwing just that random in. bear. Yeah. But that is a horse and his boy. And honestly, one of the best ones. I think... It was, let's... Oh, we'll check. Round of applause. But... It just reminds me of that, what is it, in that uh, Birdemic thing where they're all clapping on the table. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you. And it, like, keeps restarting. And then he's like, shakes his chair. Dude, that's... If anyone out there, totally unrelated, anyone out there needs a really great YouTube video to watch, watch JonTron's video on Birdemic. It's it's great. It's like an old video. Old video, but... It's almost 10 years old now. That's a chef's kiss for that. But Jack, that was gross. I love Horse and His Boy. Great one. If now we we so we've read four Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> we've read four of the books. If you had to rank them right now, you know, how would you rank them? And as you're ranking them, you can say like why you're putting it in this spot. Gosh, it's it's I feel like the list would change depending on like what I'd be ranking them four. Okay. If I had to go with like enjoyment, yeah. Of overall, reading, overall, like this one is my favorite. So as of right now, I think top Voyage of the Dawn Treader, mm-hmm. second Horse and His Boy, mm-hmm. Prince Caspian, Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe. Yeah, almost basically reverse in reverse order except, yeah. except yeah. No, I think I agree with you. I think Voyage still is up there for me. I Voyage of the Dawn Treader really just is. Because while this does like explore Kalorman, which has been like an established area, I think Voyage of the Dawn Treader goes into more of like that ancient magic and more of like the overall world. And, I mean, sailing to the end of the world. And just I sailing mean, to the yeah. That, it's like, just, how cool is that? It's one of the few like stories of sailing to the end of the earth that like is really just cool. Yeah, it's really phenomenal. It's yeah, but, like very well done. But I would definitely say that in this ranking, that they're all like within. That, like they're so close to each other like it's it's unfair to say that lion the witch in the wardrobe is number four when in really like if you were to view it as like a bar graph they would be like specks away from each other just voyage being slightly higher it'd be like they'd all be like at least right now they're all in at least bars of like an eight for me out mm-hmm. of ten it's so, like you have lion the wardrobe eight then like 8.2 8.4 like that kind of thing right now uh, that's kind of where yeah and i i and, really like, I, I don't want to s- I don't want to say this now. Okay. But I think this is like one of the few series where they only get better. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, we're, So we're coming up to, of course, The Silver Chair. And then we'll read Magician's Nephew. And then Into the Last Battle. And to be honest, I'm like very excited for every single one. But 
looking back, I was excited to get to Horse and His Boy. I think really the only one I wasn't like pumped to get into would probably be Prince Caspian. But then even then, reading Prince Caspian again, I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. But definitely, I think so. I think I might have to change my order a little bit. I think as of right now, be Voyage of Dawn Treader, Horse and His Boy, Lion Lutz in a Wardrobe, Prince Caspian at last. Only because, yeah, like there was a slight where I was like, I don't know if I really like it. That being said, Prince Caspian's great. Really good. But really I'm excited. A Once more. I mean, I am I am really excited to get to Silver Chair. In fact, it's one of the ones that because I usually wait until three or four days like before to like actually like listen or read to it. I kind of do a hybrid of both. Like I bought I think I've bought in the audio version of every single one. And I'll like be listening to it sometimes or like if I have a couple minutes, I'll just like pick up the book and like read, pick up where I was and kind of like skip around that way because the chapters are so short. I can kind of, you know, go back and forth and do both. But for Silver Chair, I'm, I kind of want to read it a couple times. I kind of want to read it and then listen to the audio or maybe do it in some kind of order. But Silver Chair, I do remember being one of my favorites in particular. Our parents had this nice old copy of it that I just absolutely adored because it was like this awesome old book. And I wonder, maybe I should go drive back over there and dig it so I could read that copy. But they'd Jack? Like, they'd like to see it. Oh, yeah. I know. I know. What, what is he going off my life right now? But Jack? Yes. I think that's about all we have for this I episode so. of Chapters. I do have something I want to plug. Oh, plug away. So it's actually it's a very it's very important. So those of you who got in here appreciate it. So as you guys know, Laura and I are having our son come near the end of October. And as everyone knows, or everyone should know, child is expensive. So we have an Amazon an Amazon an Amazon registry wish list that I will be linking. Um, I'm not sure really where, but like on, on my personal facebook on like instagram that kind of stuff um maybe in the raconteur collection uh like series description or whatever of the of just this episode just to hey like there's donations like if you want to like put money towards something you can do that or if you want to buy something you can do that as well um any kind of help would be really appreciated so there's Mm. things on there from like 10 bucks all the way up to like you know 80 bucks so i I thought honestly that's not as high as i thought you were gonna say 800 no, so luckily we actually got a really great deal on a crib and a mattress, oh. and that was like one of our biggest expenses. That was yeah. like two hundred something bucks. So like, go on there if you guys have like five bucks, ten bucks, you can just like, hey, I'm gonna donate towards this item for you. There's that option as well. You don't have to just buy something. You know the nice thing about getting married is you get, you just even if nobody, even if you don't invite anybody to your wedding, you know, you get married, you come home, what do you have on your kitchen? One of those mixers. Those like the stand mixtures, the you know, like the one mom has. Those like, are like three hundred bucks. I know, those, but those are all like such a classic. You know, we like, have that, one. We have I'm mom's so, old one. Oh, I'm so excited to have one of those. You know that? We, yeah, go ahead. I just, that, I think that would help me want to bake a lot more having one of those because sure. right now, I like baking a lot, but I, I just it's so time consuming. It's like, man, I've been thinking about. I really want to make some coffee cake. I want to really want to make some oh, God, cinnamon rolls, cake. right? Last time I made coffee cake, I mixed that, you know, instead of just doing the cinnamon sugar crumble and the butter, I mixed some like Hershey's dark cocoa powder in there Ooh. to kind of give it like kind of bitter chocolate. Oh, it was so good. 
kind of makes especially it, makes it more appropriate like with coffee even more so. right and so you know especially as it gets colder i, I think i want to get into that a little bit more because i always i always really enjoyed it and it's so easy especially those i mean i'm by no means a good baker but dude even making homemade pizza oh yeah real dope i'll, I'll get like mom's recipe mm, yeah it's funny because mom never stuff. really does hers with like any sauce right mm-hmm and so it's interesting, I kind of want to experiment because I wonder how flexible that recipe is. I, I bet it's pretty flexible. It seemed, probably put what any, I like probably about put it, anything on pizza. Yeah, that's what's so good about it. What I like about her recipe a lot is that uh, she got out of some old book. I can't remember what. No. But yeah. um, is that it is super flexible. And also you feel a lot better when you're eating it. It's not super greasy. It's not super oily. Right. You know, you know what's going on there. You made but, the dough. So you just feel better about it. Yeah. But rather than like getting a. I think there's something to be said, though, about getting some just cheap pizza. Sometimes. You ever get little Howie's? No. Or not little Howie's. I think it's just Howie's. Okay. It's basically a little Caesar's, but like. Right. A little bit better. Crank it up by like 0.5. Yeah. It's like right over here on the corner. Okay. Try it sometime. Yeah. It's just like greasy yeah, pizza see, see that sounds great sometimes. you have like two slices oh this, there's so much flavor but then you're like not really though yeah well that's the thing like my normal to-go pizza order is andalini's the local place or not i get i guess it is local to oklahoma i think so i don't know if they're anywhere else i don't know but that's my local like go place and that's you know pretty you're paying i think it's pretty expensive because you're definitely not getting away with 20 dollars for a pizza but i mean you're dropping 40 dollars for a really good really good pizza i mean and the, their large size, you get the 20-inch pizza. I mean, man, you got pizza for two nights. So basically, it's like 20 bucks a pizza each. <laughs> Dude, I had... So basically... <laughs> maybe it's because we ordered it, but we ordered from Umberto's. Umberto's. It was no. not it, man. Dude, see, I, I haven't know. been there, but see, we haven't been there in a long time. So, man, maybe they could have they declined. Dude, I maybe it was like, maybe it's because we ordered it. Yeah, we'll see, that's weird. I feel like pizza out of everything is an easy order food. Like, that one shouldn't... You it shouldn't like mess up. It took like to mm. get to us and also like we're like hey some garlic knots thinking just you know have your average i'm when i talk like garlic these were like garlic like you're eating like just garlic kind of right basically it's like they took some bread balls and minced garlic <laughs> wrapped in tin foil and like that's what they sent it in so you open it up and it's just like nothing but garlic and you're like <laughs> scrape scrape put it in your mouth you're still like <gasps> you know like it's yeah. gross yeah i was like man so i felt bad i was like laura i'm sorry i lied to you about this i thought this would be better yeah but see that's the problem it was like because last time i remember having it was like teenager 14. and it was great yeah but that was a long time ago yeah, so. it, was long. it was like 10 years ago everyone Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chapters. Book Report Podcast, all about the horse and his boy. Next time, we'll be talking about the silver chair. And I would expect to have a guest. And I would expect a longer episode. These episodes tend to run long, but you know what? I'm kind of okay with that. It's more of a chill time. Or relaxed time where, you know, we spend 10 minutes at the end talking about pizza. So, everyone, we love you out there. Stay safe. Check us out if you want. Spread the word. Tell your friends buy our stickers do we have stickers we can buy um not that i can like hand them out to people dang it we should uh get some stickers so we can go some guerrilla marketing campaigns and just post this everywhere dude just put them on cars yeah
don't on cars out. Like, you know, <laughs> put them on your car. We should clarify. Don't just start, start putting them on cars.